0: Discretion is the better part of valour, is a well-known idiom. After all, we all know the result of answering the question, does my bum look big in this, may result on sleeping on the couch for a month at the very least. But when the lies are not ones to prevent hurt to someone we love, but enormous life-changing ones, what is the point of no return? This is the case of Laurie Suarez Hacking, and this is Murder Me on Monday
1: hello everyone welcome back to the murder me a monday podcast i am cameron and joined with me is mother hello just a quick thank you to the newest patron subscribers louise and melissa thank you very much we appreciate it
0: and thank you to the rest of you for the continued support over on patreon by becoming a patron you not only support our efforts but also gain access to extra perks such as early access to episodes bonus content and even stickers should you want them this case was a suggestion from one of our lovely supporters, Kelly, who had some interesting personal knowledge. I know it's been done many times on podcasts and documentaries and even books, but I know Cameron won't know this case at all.
1: I don't know the cases that we have done at all. You could do them again and it will be fresh information <laughs> to me. So the fact I don't know this case means very little.
0: You do know some of them. You do know. Vaguely, right. Well, this case also involves the Mormon religion again. And I know some places got quite hung up on that, but I don't think it was the heart of the issue at all. Yes, he ignored many church rules, but so do people from other religions. I will do it chronologically as always, but I will put in the many questions I have as I go along as I just can't find answers and there's no trial transcript. The idiom I mentioned on the opening is actually wrong. It's from Shakespeare and actually goes, the better part of valour is discretion in which the better part I have saved my life. And if only Mark Hacking had known the full quote from the play Henry IV Part I, he may have thought twice before he got so deep, but honestly, maybe not. Let us start at the beginning, 31st of December 1976, Laurie was born in Brazil. We don't know much about her early years. She did have a brother, Paul, but in 1987, her parents' marriage was over. Her parents were Mormons, all members of the LDS church. They had met another couple, Harold Suarez, some places call him Eraldo, which I'm guessing is the proper pronunciation and spelling. He was a teacher and his wife, Thelma. The couple had gone on a church mission to Heraldo's birth country of Brazil. The couples got on very well, and how it came about is unclear, but Iraldo and Thelma, who were childless, adopted Laurie and her brother. It was all above board, and it was with the very best of intentions, and they then took the children back to the USA in 1988, I believe.
1: I know that could be done with good intentions. You've got two Mormon couples. They're friends. They probably know each other via the church. One of them is from Brazil as well. makes yes. sense they're kind of there. But it seems like they've gone to... A less financially secure country and said, A, can we buy your kids?
0: It did worry me a bit, but I, I genuinely there was nothing about it like that. I think it was...
1: There is a term for that. It's like a, yeah. adoptive tourism. Some yeah. people go to China, adopt a child and come back. Everything like yeah. happens. But it, I've not really heard of it from Brazil, but I guess if you're from the US, that makes sense. But it, to me, it's like, let's buy a kid from some poor people.
0: Yeah, but Heraldo was Brazilian. Um These children were older and it was probably you know, if their parents' marriage had broken up, they might have been in dire financial circumstances and it was a good move for the children. Yeah, true. So, Laurie was popular at school and a good student at the school in Orem, Utah, where the family settled. That's about 45 miles south of Salt Lake City. Orem's population seems to fluctuate between 88,000 and 98,000 and the high school had a pupil enrolment of over 1,200 So it's possible that the reports of Laurie and Mark hacking not knowing each other until they met on a camping trip with friends in 1994 is true. Big schools, you know, people by sight, but maybe paths don't cross. So you have this high school couple who are inseparable. Families love each other and all is good. Mark hacking came from a well-respected LDS family also. His father was a paediatrician, his mother was a nurse and he had two brothers, one who becomes a surgeon, a heart surgeon I am told and very good authority and the other was a highly specialised engineer, strong academics who work very hard to be successful. The relationship carries on for five years. Many reports say that Laurie did not want to get married until they were financially secure, sensible girl, and she thought they were on their way. She had gone into the financial services industry working for Wells Fargo and Mark was studying psychology at the University of Utah. They marry. Looked like a lovely wedding in the photographs. Everyone is happy. 2004, 10 years into the relationship, five years of marriage and things were going well. Laurie was by now an assistant manager. Some places say stockbroking. Could be the same but she was still at Wells Fargo. Mark, like many people when in college or university, also worked and he had a job as an orderly at the University of Utah Hospital and then graduated with honours and was just about to take up a place at the University of North Carolina to study at the medical school there in Chapel Hill. He had worked hard and had even gotten Thelma to help him study with test exams as he and Laurie didn't have the space he stored his textbooks in Thelma's garage. By this time, Thelma and Heraldo had divorced, so she had the space to help. Laurie would be leaving her job to support her husband and moving with him over 2,000 miles from friends and family. Laurie had also discovered that she was about five weeks pregnant. Most people don't tell anyone till the first trimester or 12 weeks, but the couple was excited at the new life they had ahead of them and they had told family and friends. Mark was good with children. He had worked in the children's psychiatric unit in Salt Lake City Hospital and friends were sure he would be a great dad. But Laurie's mother, Thelma, was a bit worried how Laurie would cope with a new baby in a strange place and no family or friends around her. But Laurie was resilient and would cope, Thelma assured herself. All good? Well, no. It sort of unravelled very, very fast In July of 2004.
1: By all accounts. Are Mark and Laurie a successful couple?
0: On the surface yes.
1: Okay. Because I'm just wondering. Because it can be seen as him removing her from. Her support network.
0: Yes it could. Yeah, Because he's
1: dragged her away 2,000 miles with a fresh baby. With no family members around to help.
0: It seemed like the logical move. I don't know why he didn't stay. Supposedly to go to medical school more locally but maybe it was a specialized program
1: if anything it would have made sense for just him to go because then at least if they're going to have the child she's then going to be also around her family members and his or whatever to help because then he can just go and then come back rather than take everyone over there
0: true but a lot of couples don't want to be separated
1: no no but you also are then still separating from something being the family yeah. but i am looking at it through a slightly sinister lens because it being a true crime podcast
0: yeah Well, Mark had done well to start. He did do the first three years of his psychology degree, but he stopped going in his fourth and final year and never told anyone. So, of course, he didn't graduate. How he got away with that subterfuge, I don't know. Graduation ceremonies are huge, but a lot of people do not go. All they're interested in is the certificates.
1: Do you still get the diploma if you don't yes. turn up for the celebration? Yes. Or the graduation ceremony? Okay.
0: But a lot of people want the photographs with their families and such like. So just, a lot of people just want the certificates. They're not interested. They maybe not ha- don't have family to go or they, they just don't want the expense.
1: Yeah, it could be something dumb like the gowns are expensive. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Now, I wondered about these certificates Turns out Photoshop existed, and I didn't realise that Photoshop was commercially released in 1989. And by 2000, it was released for the usual systems like Windows and Mac, which could have been what happened, how he got away with. He must have had a certificate to prove to everybody. People would have wanted to have seen it, wouldn't they? I've no idea, but no one suspected that he hadn't graduated Obviously, all of this means that the placement at the University of North Carolina did not exist. He had even gone so far as to pretend that he had applied to at least three medical schools and even flew out to New York City and stayed with a relative and went off to attend an interview and came back and told the relative all that had happened in his interview for medical school. All of it was fake. It never happened. There are two or three different versions but it seems on or around the 14th or 15th of July 2004, Laurie had been organising somewhere to live when they arrived in Chapel Hill and needed some sort of paperwork from the university to confirm an apartment lease so called the uni only to be told they had no record of a student joining called Mark Hacking. The other version is that Mark's mother called the university to be that supportive parent and pay his tuition fees for the year so as to ease the financial burden. Only to be told the same thing. She contacted Laurie to ask what on earth was going on. They don't have a Mark Hacking down for next semester. Laurie is known to have left work in tears having taken a phone call on the 15th of July which was a Thursday. Seemingly yet another version is that Laurie listened to a voicemail from Mark's mother telling her that Mark wasn't enrolled and she goes home. When Mark returns she confronts him and he bolts in his car. Laurie eventually tracks him down to a hotel about an hour away from home. He manages to convince Laurie that he had just forgotten to enrol. And just like that, all is forgiven.
1: Well, can you blame her? From her perspective, it's easier to believe that your husband, the person you've been with now for 10 years, five years of marriage, you've got a kid, built a life together, it makes more sense that he has just forgotten to enrol somehow than the entire thing. Yeah. It's fake you are going to convince yourself. He probably actually needed to do very little because she just wants to convince herself that it's not yeah. actually true.
0: You want to believe. Laurie calls the university on Friday the 16th of July and leaves a voicemail telling them that there had to have been some sort of error. An IT glitch. We all use that as an excuse. Because Mark had told her so and she believed him, which goes exactly to what you just said. The couple go out to a social engagement that evening with some of Laurie's co-workers and by all accounts everything is fine from those that observed them that evening. We have a gap here. The timeline gives a two-day slot over a weekend where people probably wouldn't notice Laurie was not about and family and friends knew they were knee-deep in packing for this pending move. There is mention of a letter that was later found from Laurie to Mark written around this time saying something along the lines of I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be home in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I got someone I don't want to spend the rest of my life with unless changes are made. It wasn't just the lies. It seems Mark's adherence to the religion was only on the surface he drank and he smoked if it was just tobacco i don't know but he kept all of that hidden from Laurie too and both are not allowed sunday evening both mark and laurie are seen on cctv going into a local convenience store they go home they have another long deep hole discussion on that sunday evening according to mark over an hour, Mark reveals to Laurie all his lies. Sorry, an hour to cover off at least five years or more of lies? That bit doesn't ring true. There's always a lot of to and fro-in. You
1: just chat shit for like the first hour. Yeah.
0: Laurie, no doubt exhausted and emotional and also early pregnancy, goes to bed. And according to Mark, goes to sleep. He stays up. He's playing COD, I believe, and he is continuing to pack to move. Quite why, I don't understand. No uni place. Maybe they've signed for a new apartment. They have a lease and they have no choice. Mark finds his gun whilst he's packing a .22 calibre rifle. He picks it up. He walks into the bedroom and shoots Laurie in the head. Mark then walks back into the living room and sits down and wonders if he has dreamt what has just happened. Mark is seen again on CCTV at around 1am going back to that local convenience store. But what he bought I don't know for certain, but police believe this is shortly after he had just shot Laurie. He goes back home. He wraps Laurie's body in rubbish bags. Some places (laughs) say carpet and cuts the top of the blood-stained mattress out and wraps that up too. He then goes to a local church car park that had big dumpsters in it and disposes of Laurie's body and the mattress top in one bin and gets rid of his gun in another. 9.45am on the 19th of July, Mark goes and buys a brand new mattress. 10.07am, Mark calls the police with concerns about Laurie's whereabouts and then he calls again at 10.49 to report Laurie missing. Mark told police she had left home early around 5.30 for a customary jog but had not returned home nor arrived at work. Police did not take it seriously initially. They actually trotted out the wait 24 hours line and told him to call hospitals and jails. Marcus done well. He had called her work, called her friends and claimed he had driven out to the jogging trail and found her car but had also run the three mile jogging route there and back and found no sign of her and all the family and friends are in a state, and some even fly into town to help with the search. There are press conferences, and they are still available online, where Mark is asking for help or any information, if anyone had seen anything at all unusual. There were hundreds of flyers printed up and handed out, and over 1,200 volunteers took part looking for Laurie. Unfortunately, an eyewitness came forward who has said that they had seen Laurie near that jogging trail that day, but later they recanted. It may have been a genuine mistake, but it absolutely messed with the initial investigation into Laurie's disappearance, which is always a risk with eyewitnesses, as we know. This goes on for weeks with no further sightings and people are getting desperate. Police are working in the public eye on an abduction case but behind the scenes they are conducting an investigation into Laurie's spouse. The murder of women when they are pregnant is 16% higher than non-pregnant women. After conducting extensive checks at Laurie and Mark's apartment police are very quickly concentrating efforts on Mark and not on an abduction
1: So I've got a question about that statistic. I assume Mm. you can't answer it because you wouldn't have expected me to ask this question. You say it's 16% higher when a woman is pregnant than when they're not. Is that usually committed by the husband or is that just like another random stat that's sort of...
0: No, it's the intimate partner, whether it's a husband, boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure if, for example, because they're pregnant, they might be more vulnerable. So if someone wants to, say, mug them or rob them... It's a higher likelihood and therefore that's a a propensity to end in the violent end.
0: I think you've actually got less of a risk if the muggers know that you're pregnant because they realise the danger that they could be in. Police find Laurie's handbag and her purse still at home. That's not unusual. Why would you take it with you when you're going for a jog? Police thought the bathroom smelt surprisingly clean. There was a statement of the smell of bleach. Again, can be explained as clean freak. They find a hunting knife in a drawer with blood on it. Mark says it's from a recent hunting trip. The mattress was brand new and the bed was made with brand new sheets. You know, that smell they get when they come out of the packet and they haven't been washed or ironed. Again, it's not a gotcha. Nor is the very large bunch of ornate flowers they find in the apartment. It's described as an apology level bunch of flowers. And ladies, we all recognise those. But again... It's nothing. Police then find out about all Mark's lies regarding the degrees and medical school and Mark becomes an official person of interest. Police look further at the apartment and do find blood traces in several spots including the headboard of the bed. They also find the original mattress very close to where Mark worked at that hospital with a section cut out, which you would not do if his original reason for disposing of it was real. He had actually told the police that he had to dispose of the mattress as Laurie had bled on it when on her period. Hang on, she was five weeks pregnant. So they had slept on this mattress that was so badly stained that they had to dispose of it for over five weeks. Mm. They find all the CCTV I've mentioned. They find out Mark had bought that brand new mattress at the time Laurie was supposedly missing. Even Laurie's car, when it was found at that jogging trail car park, he did the one stupid thing they all do. He didn't move the seat back after driving it to the jogging trail. Laurie was diddy, five foot four. Mark was at least six foot. Mark, for all intents and purposes, as far as the public is concerned, collapses under the strain of a pregnant and missing spouse and the move and the university placement and all of that. And he's found wandering about in a motel car park, naked as the day he was born, on the 24th of July, 2004. Except, if you're having a psychotic break enough to do that, are you compass mentis enough to put on a pair of flip-flops or sandals to your feet so they don't get cut up on the asphalt, as Mark did? He is obviously taken for a psych evaluation and his family rushed to his side. He confessed to his brothers how he had murdered Laurie. After wrestling with their conscience overnight, Mark's brothers tell the police that Mark confessed to them what had happened to Laurie. Police then set about trying to find Laurie's body in the local landfill site. Mark then gets a lawyer real quick and by the 31st of July, all searches for Laurie are called off. At first, Mark is arrested on suspicion of the aggravated murder of his wife. And on the 2nd of August 2004, his bail was initially set at $500,000 but was later increased to $1 million. On the 9th of August, Mark is charged with first degree murder. The search for Laurie's body is continuing. The landfill site was small, only about 10 acres. Police also used cadaver dogs in the search and eventually... On the 1st of October, they find first a jawbone and then other body parts which were later forensically matched back to Laurie. The search was over. 29th of October 2004, Mark pleads not guilty. Laurie's brother Paul is extremely upset as is the rest of her family. And Paul writes to Mark telling him to save your family the grief and cost and plead guilty to murder but no one initially expected him to. There was a possibility that his defence would be a mental illness caused by a traumatic brain injury when he fell off a roof when he was in his early 20s. That plea predictably didn't materialise. 15th of April 2005 Mark enters into a plea agreement whereby he would plead guilty to murder if prosecutors dropped the rest of the charges against him, which were three counts of second-degree felony obstructing justice. I'm not sure why those three counts were important to him to have them dropped. It was strange. On the 6th of June 2005, Mark was sentenced to six years to life in prison.
1: That's a wide range. Six years. Why specifically six years?
0: Well, that was the maximum possible sentence under Utah law at the time. It had a minimum of six years, but the maximum was five, but they could set it at six. Now, normally, those convicted of first-degree murder were required to serve a minimum of five years before they could be considered for parole. However, because Mark killed Laurie with a firearm, the minimum was increased by one. Yeah,
1: it's like Amazon saying it can arrive between eight and December. Yeah, it's such a wide range; it's irrelevant.
0: Well, people, as one might expect, were outraged. There was uproar. In July of two thousand and five, the Utah Board of Parole did what the judge in Mark's case failed to do; they set an appropriate timescale before he could apply for parole.
1: They increased the minimum sentence.
0: Yeah. They said that due to the aggravating factors such as covering up her murder, lying about it and the way he disposed of her body, he would not even be considered for parole until 2035, meaning it was a minimum of 30 years and even then he may not get out. Laurie's father did a lot of campaigning and on March twentieth, two 2006, Utah House Bill 102, also known as Laurie's Law, was passed. Now people convicted of first-degree murder in Utah must serve at least 15 years before they can be considered for parole. You know, I sometimes find odd memorabilia for sale from these murderers with quite small price tags, letters they have written to people possibly not expecting it to be sold or sending drawings. Well, In June of 2006, prison officials discovered that Mark was selling autographs, hand tracings, various prison forms and magazines all online. Officials later announced that Mark had agreed to discontinue selling anything online. That was the official word, but it was a lot less polite than that. And you do have to wonder at the psychopathy of someone who would do that. Notoriety or maybe money. Maybe his family are not putting money into the commissary for him. I doubt it, so why would he sell these things? And I'm also actually genuinely surprised that I haven't found him on one of those prisoner dating sites, if I'm honest. This is all family annihilator adjacent, isn't it? Listeners, no doubt, will see the parallels with the Scott Peterson case. He didn't want to be a father. And that strange one we covered on Patreon of Carol and Todd Garton. You know, I know you do remember that one, Cameron. There are accounts out there that Mark was not happy about the pregnancy. He was worried that when they moved and Laurie went on to maternity leave, even in America it's very, very short, their lifestyle would be impacted. Depending
1: she, on where you work, you don't get any maternity leave. No. Literally zero. Yeah.
0: She was the main breadwinner after all and we couldn't possibly, well, he couldn't possibly have his life altered even though his life was a lie. I also wondered if the locals were far more upset than has ever been revealed as at a number of Mark's hearings he is shown wearing a bulletproof vest. So there may have been threats against him or authorities suspected that there may be an attack. That's never spoken about. Is that
1: just not part of normal procedure then? No. It's unique to him? Yeah. Okay.
0: Or if there have been specific threats. There's a current case going on. It's literally just happened in the last few days where a guy killed three of his four children, just lined them up and shot them three, five, and seven, I think, out of nowhere. And he's.
1: It's his thing for protection because of the public outrage at him killing. Yeah. Innocent children. Yeah. So you, you think a vigilante parent could come out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. It's usually a relative that does that. I yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Right. There are people who do feel sorry for Mark. Maybe he wasn't as strongly academic as his brothers or medically inclined like most of his family. But those that knew Laurie said she had ought him and... It would have been, she wouldn't have cared if he hadn't been that person he was trying to become on the surface, as long as he put the effort in. If he failed, what well, he failed, but well, as long as he tried, maybe the pressure to succeed was all in his mind. It certainly doesn't seem that the family pressurised him overtly, but it could have been subliminal. Thelma appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show before Laurie's body had been found. She was setting up a scholarship in Laurie's name and Oprah donated $50,000, possibly more. Another thing I read uh, was around about the same time that Thelma appeared on the Oprah show, which was well before the finding of the body and Mark's trial. Mark, or possibly his attorneys, made an announcement that, well, I'm cringing. He intended to write a book about everything, in inverted commas, the proceeds of which would go to the Laurie K. Suarez Hacking Memorial Scholarship Fund. That's just attention-seeking, isn't it, to make that announcement?
1: I don't think people would even want to receive the funds from the person that murdered... Exactly. ...the person that the scholarship is in the namesake of.
0: Exactly. Laurie's family had Laurie's headstone changed and removed the name Hacking. It's one of those things that I struggle with in a lot of episodes where the victim carries the name on the gravestone of their murderer. Personally, I'm in complete agreement with what they did. They said at the time, we just felt that Mark obviously didn't want her anymore. And Hacking was replaced with the Portuguese word Filinina, which translates to a little daughter. Laurie's mother still writes to Mark in prison. She's far more forgiving than I could be. She blames the whole thing on depression. And Mark's family are on record saying that they love him deeply, especially since he actually did the right thing by admitting guilt. But I think they must have put him under enormous pressure to do so. So I don't really think he would have done it otherwise. He didn't admit his guilt to the police, did he? Only to his brother when he was in the hospital. The only person who seems less than forgiving is Laurie's father, who wants Mark behind bars for good. And I've got to admit, I agree with him. I am firmly convinced that Mark is a pathological liar, which is someone who lies to get their own way, whereas a compulsive liar does it out of habit. A pathological liar is often goal-oriented, i.e. focused on telling lies to get their own way. They create extravagant stories that may be maintained or tweaked over time, and they often believe their lies or have a weak grip on reality. Unlike compulsive liars, the pathological liars are nearly impossible to catch in the act. Because they lie constantly and make up stories unnecessarily and often, it becomes extremely difficult to distinguish the truth from false statements. They lie to gain something exaggerating things they keep on changing their stories and they live in a false sense of reality if confronted they act defensive and never admit they are liars that sounds like him doesn't it it's only when he was finally confronted with the absolute truth he came unraveled and started running around in that car park it was the police for the police it was him running around in flip flops he may have been you know buck naked But it's the fact he had flip-flops on his feet. He obviously didn't want his feet cutting up. And they knew, you don't do that.
1: You said that when he was packing up some stuff and Laurie was asleep, that he just happened to come across his gun. Yeah. And that's why he shot her. (laughs) Do you think that's the case? That he just happened to come across it? Or do you think he previously planned it? Because it does seem like a bit of a coincidence. Just as his life kind of unraveled, you're packing up. That makes sense. You, You might find your gun when you're packing up. But it seems too much of a coincidence or too convenient.
0: I think with the pathological lies, he was now at the point of no return. I suspect he knew where his goal always was. And he just like, this was it. He had to stop it. If he somehow stopped her, his life would...
1: He might stop the rest of it from unravelling?
0: Yeah. It makes no logic. There's no logic to it for the likes of you and I. And I do wonder why initially his lawyers were talking about this tbi when he was in his 20s when he fell off this roof
1: that would have manifested way before that
0: yeah uh so i did wonder were they going to go for uh you know diminished responsibility responsibility, which
1: but another question with that is when did he start to stop actually attending university because he went there for three years didn't go to the fourth one would that happen to come inside when he suffered this tbi where he fell off a roof he fell off a roof what was he doing on the roof
0: (sighs) who knows helping somebody with roof shingles or whatever they call them. You know, we call them tiles. But it could well have done. Yeah, you're right. It could have been about that same time. So it could have actually been valid. But he doesn't seem to have ever appealed this.
1: It just seems odd to me that he spent three years in university, didn't go to the the fourth one. You come from a rich family with history. You're borderline legacy admission. You've you've got a rich family. They're in the medical field. Sure, your mum's a nurse instead, which isn't quite as prestigious as the doctor that your dad is. But you've come from something. You're already rich. You've already sort of beaten life by about 80%. You're, you're, air quotes, happily married and and eventually with a kid on the way. By all accounts, you've sort of succeeded at most things. If you just pursued on that line, that that trajectory that you're on in the first place, you'd have got your degree in in, um, psychology and then probably pursued like master's and then eventually got the PhD to be practicing as a medical psychologist. Not a psychiatrist. He's a psychologist. Yeah. So why don't you just do it?
0: I genuinely don't know.
1: And on top of that, you would have fucked off your other brother because he was just an engineer. He wasn't, he isn't actually a PhD at that point and that would have been like a bragging right because that would annoy you.
0: I think that brother was, he was very highly...
1: um, No, no, but you could always laud it over your brother. He's like, oh, I've got a doctorate. So I don't know. It just seems very odd to me.
0: Now you've mentioned it about this 20, when he was in his early 20s, he'd fallen off the roof. The more I am wondering if there was actually something in that and it did fundamentally change who he was. Did all of this, uh, who he was before... Because
1: he would have gone when he was 18. So, by the point, that would have been around his third year that he got dunked yeah. on the head as he fell off the roof. But you can't use that, obviously, as an excuse, but that ex- could explain some of his actions.
0: Yeah. It's bizarre.
1: I know he's a very bald man and looks a lot like Stone Cold Steve Austin, the wrestler, but I don't think he should have been jumping off roofs. No, somehow I know when, when when men go bald, if they're like a certain kind of weight and shape, you look about eighty percent the same as another bald man. So it's really <laughs> hard to distinguish yourself from someone else in a picture. But bro does it like Stone Cold Steve Austin? He does. He I does. don't know if some people listening to this know that reference. It was a famous wrestler from back in the day, kind of like my childhood. You're going to see this when we put it up on Instagram, and you're going to go, "Yeah, he does actually."
0: Until you said that to me, I, I it's one of those things. I'm like, who does he remind you of? But now you have said that, yeah, that's exactly who he is. And there he sits in prison in Utah. He's now 47. He will be 59 before he is eligible for parole. And finally, the victim who should not be forgotten, Laurie K. Suarez, aged 27.
1: So everyone, there we are, the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to our most recent Patreon subscribers. Louise and Melissa. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me Monday Podcast. Email us at murderme podcast at gmail And again, description, show notes, Patreon, all that good stuff. We'll see you next time. Peace.
0: Bye.